Welcome to The Real Wine Show, a wine game show wrapped in a talk show, wrapped in a podcast about wine. I'm Matt. And I am Chad. So our first segment is kind of like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We're calling it Spot the Corker, where we read possibly fictitious pieces and ask each panelist to decide if they're true or false. The second segment is the emotive blind tasting, where instead of relying on the usual descriptors like what kinds of fruits, how much tannin or acid the wine has, we ask our panelists to taste the wine and tell us a story about the wine based on how it makes them feel, like perhaps a memory, or if the wine were a person, what kind of person would it be? You know, think of it less of a game show and more of a wild discussion about the wide world of wine. So uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. So yeah, Matt, do you want to start them off with the first of the true and false questions? Yeah, sure. All right. So the Board of Trustees of the Russian River AVA has decided at a general meeting to increase the area under cultivation for the Russian River Valley by 400 acres. This could increase production by around 3 million bottles on top of the 3.6 million currently produced. No new vines will be planted, but the boundaries of the AVA will be extended and the inter- vineyards will be integrated. The Russian River AVA is currently 15,000 acres. Remember all those articles recommending Russian River Valley Pinot for Thanksgiving? Mm. Was that just a soft rollout? Will we be awash in a sea of Chardonnay, Pinot, and Zin? What do you guys think? So the question is, are they expanding the Russian River Valley? You're saying? Yeah. So is, is that news true or false? Well, if you say by expanding by 400 acres, and they have how many already? They have 13,000 acres already? 15. 15,000. Yeah. So that's a pretty small percentage. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised. Within if the realm of feasibility bit. here is what you're going for. The realm yes. of, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's um, true. Um, there is a lot of investments from uh, the hedge fund in- industry and business in oh. California, and I'm sure they need to produce more bottles. So, so I will go more than having read about these uh, just uh, because they need to produce more, they need to sell more, and I think it is a true statement. So mm. I'm pretty sure that this is the first step, and maybe they're going to uh, do the same thing in other regions uh, over there in addition to... Uh, Russian River. Yeah, I think it's I think it's true as well, but I wouldn't put it past you jokers to throw something so small and irrelevant <laughs> as a as a ringer right off the bat. Just look at your faces right now, seriously, you guys. Look at what happened to Sonoma Coso a few years ago too, right? There's some expansion there. Maybe someone's getting jealous. Somebody holds contracts who wants to make more money. Who knows, right? But I think it's true. I would probably want to make more money too if I were in a position of holding those vineyards. So Justin coming with a hard hitting an- uh, analytics there. There you go. Let's say before we move on so that our listeners understand where all this brilliant insight is coming from to a quick introduction of our panelists. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So we just heard from Justin King, who is a multidimensional, we'll say multidimensional. He, he's done it all. He's done, no, he's trim and looks great, but he's done it all. He's a, a guy with a tremendous background in wholesale. And there, is a, there is a Justin also in the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you been watching that? Was it called The Legacy of Monsters? Uh, anybody watching that on no. Apple no. TV? No? Okay. Had to do with dimensions. Other people, dimensions. I didn't know people had Apple TV, to be honest with you. Ooh, that's a low blow. <laughs> I'm all in. But yeah, so Justin King is now just starting this month, kicking uh, off. First week. First just five, week. five days in. 
Yeah, so a local treasure for us, he's heading up the wine program at Paisano, a local Italian restaurant for us. So, Justin, welcome in. Good to have you with your depth of experience. Glad to be here. Speaking of experience, we also heard from Filippo Pistone from uh, New York. Yes. He is an importer with uh, Bacchanal Wines, and you are a specialist in Italian wine imports. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's why the question was like uh, just uh, answering because of everybody needing to produce more wines. But uh, yes, I, I moved to this country 25 years ago, and I started a food company and, and a wine company. The wine company, thank God, started to be giving me the opportunity to make more money. So I started with the Italian portfolio and uh, specialized in Italian wines from Piemonte to Sicily. I was born in Sicily, so I love wines from the southern part of Italy, generally speaking. And we'll note that for the blind tasting segment. Oh. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and yes, I am happy to be here. I'm here by coincidence because my daughter started the second semester of a sophomore here at University of Michigan. So we're I'm delighted to have her in town. <laughs> yes, me too. It's pretty funny that I was dropping her and say, hey, I need to go to Chad for this uh, podcast. So let's move. No, she was like, I want to move the bed in the wonderful <laughs> direction. I said, no, let's keep it the bed where it is. <laughs> Anyhow, so thank you for inviting me. That's, uh, that's fun. But, Thanks yeah. for taking the time out of the busy schedule. We appreciate it. And our third and final panelist is uh, Bobby Frank. Ann Arbor legend, I think, is a fair way to put that. I've been calling you a super consumer. Is that fair? Here's a guy with an incredible depth, way beyond your typical... Because you're not an industry pro. I'm not an industry pro. I've, d I've done some writing yes. in that, yeah. but no, I'm not an industry pro. I'm just a really, I, I love wine. I love almost everything about wine. The most passionate, Bobby, yeah. really. Yeah. And your experience is I incredible. I do have passion, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're delighted that and you I've bring had, that. I've had the years to fulfill that passion. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and we wish you, of course, many yeah. more. And <laughs> I want to go on one of your trips where you walk through the... Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So okay. keep me in mind. My knees are bad, but keep me in mind. Uh. <laughs> yeah. My, mine aren't so great anymore either. So. Hey, okay. <laughs> we'll work it out then. So yeah, I think that's our panelists. And uh, Matt, why don't you tell us about the Sonoma story? Was a, or, I'm sorry, Dry Creek, right? Russian, Russian River. River. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Close enough. It was false. Well, thank God you're not in the panel. It was chat. false. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to lodge a complaint with the peanut gallery over here too. Like, we've got a live studio audience here today, and that's uh, character. Yeah, I I like it. We can disagree about that. So yeah, I took that. Actually, it was a Rosso uh, Chino was expanding, and I just took that article and pasted in. Russian so you River Valley. So we got had by a low effort ringer. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you said you were going to. You had that right there. Here I go again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Go for it. Yeah, no, I was yeah. just going to ask about it. We have, a, I see a, a very interesting bottle, and you were talking. I was with uh, Filippo last night. We had dinner, and you had mentioned that you were going to have a particular wine here that was of some interest, and I haven't had it yet, but I see it sitting on the table, yes. and I just wondered if you guys have had it, if you could give us no, a quick no. rundown before of what it is before we get into uh, uh, so the yes, next question. In, uh, in my years of finding interesting producers and wineries from Italy, uh, I came across these uh, guys called Novelli, Cantina Novelli, which unfortunately they are now out of business. And this is a very interesting, uh, one of the many interesting producers uh, in the region at that time. So they are in the Sagrantino Montefalco area. Of course, they're famous for production of Montefalco and Sagrantino. But they, they started this, they have in their property this very interesting plot of a, a, a grape called Trebbiano. But this is a, spe a specific clone of Trebbiano called Trebbiano Spoletino. So it's only from the Spoleto region, town, of course, of, of Umbria. And the interesting part is that there are not many 
wines coming from Italy or from Europe, for that matter, that they are prephyloxera, and this is one of them. Usually it's more common to find prephyloxera wines from very high altitude, like volcanic soils like Etna or even Vesuvio area. But this is grapes that are coming from a prephyloxera vineyard owned by the winery, and which now the grapes were harvested on from vines that they are three meters tall, so it's about nine, ten feet. Mm. And uh, they use ladders to go up there and the harvest is all done manually. And they produce no more than 16, 18, sorry, 16, 1800 bottles a year. And this is number 20, 1240 of the vintage 2009. The which, color uh, is remarkable. It's so golden. It's so deep. Uh, so the color amber. of this wine, when I imported that in 2011, was like that. Oh, so the I'm sorry. What's the vintage changed. on this? 2009. Nine. It's nine. Oh, wow. Okay. So, this is, so the color never changed. This is actually one of the amazing things is that the color didn't change. Remained how the, this super golden color, very typical of the Trebbiano Spolitino, generally speaking. So the other interesting part about the winery that unfortunately is no longer in, in production is that the owner, Mr. Novelli, pushed the law to create it uh, of Trebbiano Spolitino. Now, thanks to them, they, there is a DOC in Umbria which identify that as a Trebbiano Spolitino, which is a different clone than Trebbiano. You can find Emilia Romagna, you can find that in Tuscany and so on. Mm -hmm. And so this, in fact, in 2009 was still like under IGT Umbria. So it's a classification of Umbria, but it's very interesting. And I'm very pleased to taste this and it's still very good. 2009, I only, I kept some of these because it's my second daughter birth year. And so I was oh, like, yeah. in occasion of coming here and meeting with, uh, with you and John as well, Long story there, we're not going into that. <laughs> we'll um, have to get him down for one of these. Yeah, exactly. The concentration on this is just off the charts. For, a, tre really for a Trebbiano? It really I've is. Never had anything close to this. And the amazing part, you guys aren't going to believe this, but this is a fantastic lead-in to our next true and false mm. question. Okay. Which, <clears throat> if I may, Italy's iconic master of Abruzzo wines, Eduardo Valentini, whose eponymous Trebbiano is regarded as Italy's best wine, has embarked on a new project to propel the local Passerina variety to new heights. Conceived, I'm sorry, convinced of the grape's nobility, Eduardo Valentini has collaborated with Lafitte Rothschild to do a unique blend with that Bordeaux estate's Petit Verdot, which he believes contributes just the right amount of tannin to give his Passerina exceptional aging potential. A roughly 80-20 Passerina Cabernet, the Eduardo ships his finished wine to Lafitte Rothschild, where final blending, aging, and barrique, and bottling is done. The first vintage from 22 is due for release in 2025 and is expected to set a new benchmark for prestige Italian white wine. Gentlemen, does this story ring true or false to you? Justin? I have a question, a follow-up question. Is there any price reference on where they're angling the market on this wine? No, I don't have anything like that. It's, if it's with Lafitte, it's not going to be cheap. Well, <laughs> and with Valentini also, yeah. They're going to put two feet in. They're generally not shy about these sorts of things, but that sounds true to me. That sounds fun, and I want to believe. I want to believe, so I'm going to say true. Oh, yes. We're doing the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm hearing you say a, a white wine, and I'm hearing you say Petit Verdot and Cabernet, so that doesn't make any sense to me, so I'm going to say based on that, false, because okay. sure. it, it can't be a white wine and Petit Verdot or Cabernet. Yeah, but the Petit Verdot, the red, could be vinified whites, no? I, I, I'm just, for the yeah. sake of <laughs> yeah. just throwing it that way, okay. I don't know. And how about 
Filippo, wow, what does he think uh, about being this? The Italian importer, it's a tricky question. It's a dangerous question. Yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> but I do have 50% of guessing correct. <laughs> I met Valentino only once and does produce uh, uh, a lot of wines, even if I think uh, uh, he produces also many wines that are not as famous as the two main, the Montepulciano and the Trebbiano. And not because uh, I, I want to go against what you mentioned before that he makes the best Italian white wine. I have a lot of uh, questions about that, meaning that I don't think it's the best Italian white wine. It's one of the many very good Italian white wines. In fairness, yes. Um, it's, I would say that since he has been producing the Montepulciano and Trebbiano for so many years, and then he does a lot of even less expensive wines that they don't get into the market with that price point that he has. Mm. It could be true, even if I, again, I'm just guessing just because uh, I think it's time for him to probably do something different and and try to do something that is interesting for a, a grape that is not very easy anyhow. So it's a challenge that if he makes, because he did create a great white and red, the Montepulciano and the Trebbiano. So I think the Passerina could be a project that knowing the personality was probably trying to do something interesting, di- different, in addition to what is really a classic of his uh, wines. So I would say true, but just guessing, knowing him a little bit and guessing the fact that probably it's time for him to, to do something different in addition to that. And it's good that if, if he's false, I would be disappointed because I think Italian white wines... It's, uh, it's time uh, for Passerina to yeah, no, step on the stage. Yeah, no, it's for other wines from Italy to be recognized, uh, to be drinkable, ageable. This is 2009. I brought it 2011, which we opened yesterday, Greco di Tufo Reserva from Campania. It's not only white burgundy can be aged and drank. And Ita- Italian uh, white wines, if you exclude the Pinot Grigio, there is a, a vast amount of amazing white wines from Trentino Alto Adige to Sicily. So I hope that it's true just because I think uh, it's time for Italy to have more recognized uh, wines, the white wines in the market that they are. Not, it's always better to start from high end. If uh, the cooperation for with sure. Lafitte is correct, it doesn't matter. That helps it to bring. So before we reveal the answer there, Matt, you, the spirit that this panel is exhibiting for, the, the, for this question. Yeah. yeah, they just want to believe. There's so much hope and insistence. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's so much hope. And, but it is false. Eduardo's been dead now for several years. He's, <laughs> he's been dead for what, like 10 years? So it's, it is false. And also, I would be surprised. I don't think Lafitte would let anybody bring grapes into there. That'd be weird. They, they are doing, I did read they're doing something with somebody. They, they have the, that Chinese outfit, right? Well, there's the chi- in China, yeah. yeah. But yeah. there's Which another another thing also that they're doing some kind of a partnership. Oh, are they? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Part of the thing that this question, one of the things we wanted to talk about was just wacky blends. We're seeing a lot of wild blends. We had the one here in front of you now from Marcel Dice. The what's it called? Larsh. Yes. There's how many yeah, varieties? Sixty, it says. Sixty yeah. varieties from yeah. Al- Alsace, but in, it, at the base. It, point is that there's they could, a lot of really wild blends out there. In that Italy, unusual, they could combine 7,000 different grapes in Italy, I understand. They could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that would be something. <laughs> Does any, anyone have a thought on some of the more unusual blends that you've run across recently? Or? Well, I would say Petit Verdot and a white grape. That would be an unusual blend, absolutely. I guess I'll get into the third one. Yeah. Here, I'll do the third one. So a masked uh, perpetrator wearing a cowboy hat emptied 19,000 liters of white wine from two tanks at Sparkman Cellars in Woodville in Washington. So the winery suffered a loss of over half a million dollars as a result. 
perpetrator has used an employee code, like a key, to gain access to the wine cellar. Surveillance camera recorded the crime and filmed the person leaving the building while wine flowed freely from the steel tanks. Owners did not discover the damage until two days later when the employees returned from Thanksgiving holiday. Did a mass assailant crash two tanks over the Thanksgiving holiday, or is this another turkey? What, what do you say? Sorry. Sorry. Disgruntled employees are like a story as old as time, and also theft and just general violence and things like that related to uh, other people's goods and services. I've seen the industry and, and damage that the French will do when they're importing grapes from other yeah. places. This kind of fits, I'd say, to the Washingtonians. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Can't trust them. And I have mild sociopathic tendencies, but <laughs> who wouldn't want to see like a just a crack open a tank and just watch just watch it all just flush? That'd be an amazing flood. Watch the world burn. Yeah, or at yeah. least the wine roll yeah. downhill. I don't know. <laughs> Filippo, what do you think? Is the story about the well, employee disgruntled? When you just mentioned that, it just came in my mind a very sad story with one of my producers, the Tempo from Italy, Gianfranco Soldera Casabasse from, from Tuscany, which is probably one of the top five producers in Italy. Yeah, and right. uh, in 2012, his, one of his employees opened, went back inside after being fired by him. By Gianfranco went inside the cellar, opened six vintages because at that time it was Brunello di Reserva, and so it was six years. So he opened the tanks from 2012 vintage to 2000, and, sorry, 2000, and starting six years before, of course, 2006 to 2012 vintage. And with the damage, which was 15 million euro, so a little bit more oh. than what happened in Washington. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, the Casabasse, the Soldera wines are so oh, expensive. Yeah. And the, yeah. How much does he bottle up, by the way? So that represented what kind of percentage of his total, how much did he lose, like over, in terms of the I mean, uh, total volume of production? So he owns uh, 10 hectares in uh, Montalcina, which he could produce about 60,000 bottles, following the rules of the Brunelli Montalcina, which now he became 100% Sangiovese. He left the consortium. Mm-hmm. But he produces an average between seven, 8,000 to the maximum, or about 15,000 bottles a year on a great vintage where it's, he doesn't do anything. So he does a lot of green harvest, a selection of berries. And he goes, I can talk three hours if you want just the, how he harvests his wines. So he uh, produces... We do not want that. So anyhow, I think sometimes people are evil and this, this employee was evil. And I think I think because of this experience, I'll say, and again, it's just a hope that it was not only Gianfranco to be a victim or somebody like that. And unfortunately... Because of people sometimes are not very honest and they are evil, I think it could be true. Yes. And if this were in France, I would say, oh, it's absolutely Absolutely true because they do stuff like that all wine coming in from Spain or whatever, do it all the time. Yeah, that's current news, isn't it? There's something something not too long ago, yeah. Yeah, breaking some stuff off the trucks. Yeah. I think of Oregon being a little more like Oregonians being a little more like Canadians and more more mild and ago matt would know this better because he's lived there would you agree with that or not that oregonians Oregonians are a little bit more i don't know about the washingtonians Mm -hmm. but um, oh yeah oh this is washington Washington. yeah yeah okay but it is possible okay or not possible okay i don't know i would i wonder does washington state have a inferiority complex given washington dc's preeminence what, Woodenville is by the Canadian border, so this is on Canada. Oh, this is Canadian. Oh. This, this is on Canada. Oh. It's a Canadian this is patriot yeah. <laughs> coming well, across the border. 
Although I'm going to say that it's true because the first two were false, and I'm just going to use odds here. There it is. <laughs> You're all right. You're all correct. It is true. Sadly. Oh, come on. It would have been a chance for me and Justin to uh, get back one point. <laughs> come on, man. You should have said he's false. A, he's a strategist. Next time, let him answer first, and then we'll all decide. We'll do that. We'll Justin do that. decide what to do. We'll do that. I guess. <laughs> That was the last one. Oh, or do you want to do one more? Yeah, how are we doing for time here? I think we could probably squeeze one more, more in, okay, huh? Cool, cool. Like a lightning I, I round? All right. Yeah. Oh, here's one I like. Yeah, this one I think is fun. Um, yeah, so if you gents are ready, uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, James Maynard Keenan, lead singer of the band Tool. Any Tool fans in the house? Or not really, probably. Quasi? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that guy, James Maynard Keenan. Uh, he uh, discovered a forgotten grape variety in an Arizona ghost town, the old remote mining town of Jerome, Arizona. He found a solitary vine growing up the side of an old house, which had been planted by a Spanish gentleman in the town's boom period in the late 19th century, copper mining. But the variety, as well as the history of the local naming, all this was lost. And so he submitted the grape to use samples to the UC Davis for genetic identification, but the grape came back unknown. And so he was given the opportunity to name the grape, and he called it Aurelia, after the old woman on whose house the vine was growing. She was the widow of that Spanish winemaker, actually, and who had planted the vines and had started this grape growing in Jerome. And she was actually the last surviving connection to her forgotten piece of American winemaking history. So the question is, yeah, did James Maynard Keenan discover a forgotten grape variety in an Arizona ghost town? Look at me. Would I know who the band Tool is? Absolutely not. Never heard of them. <laughs> but yeah, I would say, I'm going to say that this well, is... Well, is it plausible that you might find a forgotten grape variety well, growing no, in uh, but Arizona? I'm going, to, I'm going to say that this is true because there is an old mining town of Jerome in Arizona, in, in southern Arizona. So that's accurate. And the, the Arizona wine industry is booming. It's very, become much more popular than it, than it was, and they're producing more and more there. And so since there are enough true facts in there, I'm going to say that it is true. All right, Bobby's lodging a true on that one. We're pouring the blind tasting right now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Christy. She's... I feel like there Justin, are, go ahead. Yeah. I feel like there are layers to this because... If Maynard is in charge of Maynard mythology and Maynard narratives, then they're going to be the most interesting Maynard mythologies and narratives that can ever exist because that's how he rolls. Yeah. But this is also you a guy. You remember his, that old website that they used to have when they had like the storybook? It was from like no, I don't. the early but this, but this 2000s. Is, that's, but that goes into what I'm thinking about him. Like he's a guy that did a song where there's some angry German shouting just to freak people out, but it was like a cooking recipe or something. It was like a baking recipe, and he was just trolling everybody. Really? Like, like, so Maynard, That's fascinating. Maynard like started up with, uh, with some interest in stand-up comedy. He's that guy that does that. But to incorporate... No, no wait, what did you say? Maynard started he, 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 off he, as a stand-up comedian? He had interest. I don't want to say he was a oh, full-fledged oh, oh. stand-up comic, but he was like, he's like big into like Bill Hicks in that era. Oh. Of like, but so, but to, to take all of those facts related to UC Davis or uh, TB or anything like that sort of seems insane that someone would throw all of this... Together, yeah. that it could not be false unless you specifically made it. Hmm. So if it's false, 
I'm putting it on you. It's on me, right? It's on you. I, I think it's true. Okay. Filippo, how are you feeling about this story about the forgotten variety in the hills of a Arizona ghost town? I think he's false. I'll go for false. Are you just playing the odds here, or do you have yeah, a, no, I, a feeling about it? I don't know. It? Every time I go to Vinitaly, the big Italian wine show for Italian wines, I, I do find people coming to me and say, oh, I just have these new wines so that there's a new grape that doesn't exist. <laughs> so I think, generally speaking, only in Italy there are new <laughs> grapes that they don't exist in other, and they just, uh, oh, yeah, it's a new DNA grape. So um, I found it odd to have that in Arizona. In addition, the woman that you mentioned name is Aurelia, which is an Italian name, not really a Spanish name. So I will say no. Okay. False. Okay, there's a, you have the, yeah, he's, Matt's keeping score. <laughs> and there, the answer is that it is a true story. He did find this old vine, yeah, on this house in Aurelia. And apparently there had been, even back in the, in the again, at the early, the turn of the century, 1900s, there was a bit of a wine industry there. And uh, yeah, he got to name, they, they didn't have a genetic record for it in, at UC Davis, so... He the, called it Aurelia because that was apparently her name. So that's the miners all, the whole there story need, is true. The, the miners needed some wine to drink while they were when they were yes. done with their work. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And uh, yeah, one of the, uh, the follow-up questions there is we talked about this earlier. We had uh, Chris Hunter, he's still in, in the room with us, that was talking about how thrilling it is just discovering that running into something new and discovering mm -hmm. a, a wine of quality based on a, off of a grape mm -hmm. that you perhaps didn't know before. Is something that gives a lot of satisfaction in his wine experience. How about for yeah. you guys? How important is, is newness or that thrill of discovery in the overall wine experience? I think it's fun, but I don't think there's so many great grapes out there already. I'm certainly not opposed to anything like that, but uh, <clears throat> it's pretty overwhelming to begin with. And to add yeah. new, it's okay, but uh, I don't think it's needed. Would you say that <clears throat> quality is a more important uh, thing to discover you want to find that the wine has quality yeah. above all else I, I would agree with that and it's interesting at Lafitte they have uh, a row of each of the different grapes that they are growing right next to each other each row so that you can go out there and you can look and see and look at what, uh, the differences between the vines between the leaves and you can try and learn how to do some identity. You, you can learn enough to, to be able to tell Cabernet Sauvignon from Merlot, for example, because they do look quite different once you really look at them side by side. Mm -hmm. Rather than looking in a book, it was a great way to get that, <clears throat> get that amount of knowledge. So your point being that there's just, you could go incredibly deep and- There's so much, yeah. Yeah, with the, there, even the conventional there's stuff. So there's so much already, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. interesting. What about you, Filippo? How important is it, especially as an importer, where do, how does discovery fall insofar as I think, uh, the success of your business? Like, you have to deliver new wines yeah, to mean, the market. I, when I started my business, it wasn't based on uh, Pinot Grigio and Chianti, uh, or as known as Chianti, some part of this country. <laughs> Chianti. I used to go out with her back in the <laughs> So... Um, I actually started with uh, mostly indigenous grapes from, from various regions uh, of Italy, starting with Bella Verga, for example, or Grignolino, Rucche from Piemonte, uh, Bovale from, uh, from uh, um, Sardegna, uh, Nerello Mascalese, uh, Corinto Nero from Sicily, we, Albana di Romagna from Emilia Romagna. So we started to bring mostly the concept of Bacana wine imports was to 
bring indigenous grapes uh, into this market, which uh, we represent many of them. When did you start, by the way? When was your, did you fire up? So I moved to this country in 1998 and the company started in basically in the year 2000. I started as a broker first, but because I was not an American citizen, it took a little bit more time to, to start the import part of the portfolio. But uh, as a broker, which I'm still doing as part of uh, our, or my business is also brokering wines for other importers and distributors around the country. That's basically around year 2000, we started to bring all the uh, broker portfolio into Bacana. Uh, that's been about 23 years. So right now, after a couple of years, uh, when at the end, some of my distributors at the beginning was like, okay, dude, what is your Pinot Grigio and Chianti? We need that. I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So I started to bring Pinot Grigio and Chianti. Yeah, so you went the other way. You started with an, an I started incredible with amount a, of it, yes. uh, exploration and discovery and then found you had to add some anchor points. for. Yeah. Ah, uh, so how about today? Now you're... Nowadays, uh, fortunately, there is a tendency in this market to reduce the amount of, from larger distributors, uh, retailers, uh, to reduce the amount of products sold. Like, for example, we have several producers that they, like Alto Adige or Friuli, which they produce uh, indigenous grapes uh, like Ribolla Gialle, Friulano, if you're talking about Friuli, Sogno Blanc, and then of course they have Pinot Grigio. And I see that uh, the market is trying, especially after, I have to say, unfortunately, after the pandemic and during the pandemic too, many of the retailers that we were doing business with, which kept us alive in terms of not because of the restaurants, our portfolio mostly goes into the restaurants, but they kept uh, alive in terms of buying products in, into the retail, retail because it was one of the activities open during the pandemic. But the, what we heard from them was like, okay, don't bring me this crazy Ribolla Gialla di Oslave, which is a, an orange wine. Just uh, bring me the Sauvignon Blanc from them or the Pinot Grigio from Friuli. And so that uh, fortunately was like, okay, uh, let's sell something anyhow. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But now I see that they are, the market is very difficult in branching out back to add on more uh, interesting grapes. So I'll still keep those in the, our portfolio bring more if I can. For example, I'd like to have something called from Calabria, which I don't have in this particular moment. But I'm happy that we already represent probably 40 or 50 different grapes from Italy in addition to the common ones. But, uh, yeah, that, that's an amazing range of wines for the, your average consumer. That's just, to your point, Bobby, that's, there's yeah. so much already in the market. So yeah, that's great. If I find something interesting from a supplier, then uh, like yesterday, we tried the Tamuro Nero from Basilicata. Uh, yeah, we did. That was fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> then we, I'll bring that because it's interesting. We do have like with uh, Trebbiano, there are there, there are so many Trebbianos and Filippo and I were discussing that a little bit in, in Italy that have no relationship to each right. other at right. all. Oh. It's just that's the name that they give to it. Trebbiano di Lugana or Trebbiano di Costosa or whatever it could be. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And Justin, what, what are your thoughts on the matter? Oh, yeah. Hello? It's, yes, oh, as, far, as far as the working with uh, this experience of learning and discovering new things and new grapes or whatever, I go back to something that I was talking about with my wife some time ago. She works in a much more important version of personal relations in that she's a nurse practitioner for women's health. And I was talking to her about difficult experiences. She was an NP during the pandemic much more difficult than anything a wine person goes through. Like how do you deal with how do you deal yeah. with hard situations where information isn't getting where it needs to go? How are we trying to help somebody help make difficult decisions? And her response was, "You meet people where they are, and that's the best you can do." Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about that on a hospitality aspect, as a sommelier or as a restaurant owner, bar owner, sales rep, whatever. New twenty-one year olds every day. 
new wine drinkers every day, new harvests, new experiences, businesses failing, businesses finally getting funding. All these things are in play every single day, every single month. And if we're not trying to learn, if we're not engaged in the culture and the people around us, then we're doing ourselves a disservice to our own happiness. Yeah. Boom. Boom. They get applause from the audience. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Um, Nice insight. Let's go into the call on the wine now. We'll start with you, Justin. Oh, we're, oh. oh, wait, we're, we're going real fast now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Not the call, but look, tell us your story. What does this invoke from what is, is there a, a childhood memory or a, just an anecdote from your life? Yeah. So around my, the first anniversary of my marriage, I planned a trip for my family, or her family mostly, and me and my wife to go to France and Spain. Mm-hmm. It was a three-part trip where we went to Paris, then we went to Bordeaux, then we went to San Sebastian freaking amazing it was a gorgeous experience san sebastian one of my top places in the world to, to i want to go there so it's, bad uh, I, I led a tour there with some people this summer it was freaking awesome yeah. it was okay. to eat your face off to drink delicious stuff go to the beach twice a day and just circle back time and time out it was just absolutely awesome but yeah. i remember the food scene up there is going nuts is it's, what it's, i hear i think they they're now dropped in most michelin stars per cap they've lost to luxembourg now luxembourg's in first place go figure Strange. Yeah. there's a lot of money that's because no one lives in luxembourg also <laughs> yeah. there's no there's nobody there and there's a lot of money yeah. so what are you going to do but i accidentally almost drove into chateau Asson's vineyards there's some dirt roads we're going through saint emilion and i my car my front right rental tire hit the barrier to one of the curves in their top vineyard near in the mountain in the town of saint emilion and the windshield ended up getting cracked. Not, I don't know if it was from that, but it could have been. It was like one day later, but I had to like, I didn't talk about this with my wife either. I was like, oh shit, did I do that? <laughs> I don't know. But it was a really wonderful experience. And I had an amazing time putting that trip together for the family. They went to Dune de Pila in Bordeaux. We ate our faces off in, in Pigalle, Montmartre, in Paris. And we generally just had a really good time. We visited a couple of Sauternes producers as well. And I went over to the other side of the border down in Basque Country, drove the coast, and had an amazing time. And this wine reminds me a little bit of that experience. Oh, so a Basque red, huh? No, not oh, necessarily. Not <laughs> no. But the, the experience, you're uh, saying. The experience of being in there, there, there's, there's notes in this that remind me of something and related that's... to that world of Southwest France that I may have been talking about. Oh, Southwest. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I got you. Okay. Well, we'll no, that's great. Do you want to do a call or do you want to wait? I'll, I haven't tasted it yet, so I don't know. Well, let's, oh, hear, let's, let's hear what the other guys have to say, too. Yeah, that's I'm sure everybody. <laughs> Whoever wants to go next. It's, it's, I, I, it's, I just, and before you do, I just want to say that was a, that's a great story. That, that was exactly so thank you for that. That yeah, that was perfect. That was yeah. right on. That's, he's gonna that, he's gonna get invited back. That one. Oh, that's it, Would you mark that? He's, yeah. Justin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me bring up the meme account. <laughs> Bobby, you yeah, look ready with yeah, uh, so th- some this, thoughts. This uh, to me, this this has a, a wildness to it, and it. It reminds me, it's actually, this year is going to be 40 years when I first went to the Mosul Valley. And just touring around with the slopes that you have, those steep slopes all, all over, with, at that time, the very heavy, mediocre German food. <laughs> I am heading back there this year, and I'm hoping that the food will be a lot better. And the wines will be the wines will be very different because back then the wines were about fruity riesling, 
and there was very little Spapergund or Pinot Noir there. And what was done in a, almost like a rosé style, similar to the Ar Valley up a little bit further north. And so I'm looking forward to exploring and tasting wines like this, mm-hmm. tasting great Rieslings, both sweet and luscious, and also really not, they're all at crisp on their own, but just crisp and crisper wines. Yeah. I, I want, I, that to me is a really appealing kind of a, a vision because I don't think about Germany as being a source of wild wines. And so for me, that's a really novel not, not, experience. It, it did not used to be at all. Oh, and it, it really is now. It's um, also fun. We don't know what this wine is either. No. Yeah. This is actually fun to yeah. hear everybody's input on this. But yeah. yeah. This reminds me of I had recently an Uli Stein Pinot that this, this, uh, he makes a paper too. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is really That's an amazing wine. That is an amazing oh, wine. I have not had it. Yeah. I'm hoping to visit with Uli when I, I'm yeah, there. Hope of the Mosul. Yeah. But this is just really, this is a wine that something like this did not used to exist when I got into wine. It's just so different. And we were talking earlier about how there's so much to learn. And there continues to be so much for someone who I really knew German wine well. And I feel now like I have to relearn German wine because there's been so many changes. That's awesome. I would, yeah, just a, a toast to that. Yeah. So that's fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the first and the first moment I put this glass on my nose, it reminded me of I don't know my my flashback went to which year was the probably 2010 trip I had in Australia, oh. and because for a period of time between 2007 and 2015, I joined another company for direct distribution into New York. And so we also worked with other suppliers and there was this guy from, from America, but he had an, an Australian portfolio. And so he wanted me to go to this trip because he represented many producers from there, which they were working with Italian varietals like Nero Davola, Montepulciano, and, and he wanted me to help of course selling these when we went there in Barossa there was this crazy guy which actually was aging Nero Davola in Amphora and I was like (laughs) and I went he really my mind flashed into that uh, that I think the one it was as big as this room honestly (laughs) and he had let's say were the back of the room was this above ground Amphora and he was very excited to have an Italian there because he was also cooking sausage for the evening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, what is this? And he says, Nero Davola, where are you from? From Sicily. So of course I know what Nero Davola is. And I was like, this is not Nero Davola. He said, yes. And then he showed me the room that, where he was aging this Nero Davola in, in, in Alfred. I don't think this is Australian. I don't think this is Nero Davola, but I think that nose and the palate brings me to something that maybe from Eastern Europe that has been going through either aging in amphora or maybe concrete vats, which they're not petrified vats. So I smell that. But honestly, to tell you, the grapes, it's very difficult. I will say more like in the Cabernet Random, like Cabernet Franc more than Nero Davola. Or, but that particular nose, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like uh, back at 13 years, I was younger and a skinner, I think, at that time. So it makes me good to think about that. And also the sausage the, the guy made, which were very good. I, your story, and I really made me think about too, this uh, horse butcher down in Matera. They did just horse sausage and stuff. And I was there hanging out. He was a friend of my buddies and we were just hanging out because you could buy the, the meat right there. Mm-hmm. 
And then they had around the corner, that's in the back room, they had the little stove, and you could put the food, you'd buy the meat, and then yeah. you'd stick it in the oven, and you could just hang out at the counter and just, just eat. Saddle up at the counter? <laughs> saddle up, yeah. <laughs> and he was cool, the, the butcher was super cool, and then he brought out these Jack Daniels bottles that were filled with wine that he had made himself. And You're American, I make you feel at home. Yeah, Jack Daniels, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, just a similar thing, because there's a certain gaminess in here, too, that made me yeah. think about these things. Yeah, it's interesting. Who knows what the wine is? I get the near the <laughs> Somebody knows. The Bordeaux. It feels like we to me, if, if I was going to make a call, and I don't want to get too precious on it. There's something to me that is Northern Spanish, Southwest French about it. And I, I just can't, I can't ping it. I don't know. But that's where it feels. It's great that the room is actually a little cold there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it has gotten a little chilly in here. We turned down the furnace because it runs. Holy cow. Oh, look at that. The that wine was just one. unveiled. Way off. <laughs> and we're all like, whoa. <laughs> So that is, who's going to give I, it to us? I, I guess yeah. the Cabernet part of the... <laughs> yeah. So what is the wine, Filippo? Can you... So, yeah. Source and Ski, vintage 2019, sink. made in Source. California. Oh, sorry. sorry. Source and Sink. Yeah. Yeah. I need my glasses. Uh, yes. Uh, Source and mm. Sink, 2019 vintage, made in California, Kimberly Vineyard, Sonoma Valley, Cabernet Sauvignon by Fedman and Cherney. Now, this has really good acidity to it now but i know in california they are allowed to add acidity to the wine does anyone know on that because that yeah, does not sure. seem like a cabernet sauvignon right no for sure yeah. so these guys so Cherney, aaron Cherney, and uh, randy feldman worked with we're talking about leloon earlier they rehabbed this kimberly vineyard and took it into fully organic fully mm -hmm. biodynamic and uh, i posted actually a little thing on instagram maybe a few weeks back I had just pulled because we were there visiting with them in 21, maybe right after, yeah, right when things started opening up again. Mm -hmm. Oh, what happened? <laughs> yeah, what happened? <laughs> why, why were things closed? Why, yeah. And he was talking about how their transformation in this video that I posted up, we were hanging out in the cellar, and he was saying that they had the transformation, the transition from organic or from conventional farming to organic farming changed the pH in the soil mm. and it created wines that. Yeah, we're brighter okay. and more oh, vibrant okay. because the, the, the soil pH had, had actually changed. Yeah. That speaks to that. They, do, they certainly don't add anything. This this could be zero, zero, in fact. Mm. They may not have sulfites in there either. Yeah. See, I, if I there's forget. any sulfites, it's just a touch. Yeah, yeah, it's very low. But yeah, no, it's in the... That's a fun surprise. I was surprised too. Yeah. I didn't recognize the wine at all, but yeah, delicious. And we're drinking at basically cellar temperature. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do need to get the, the furnace back on. So well, maybe we yeah. should. Uh, Once we're done recording, but yeah, maybe yeah. that's the cue. I think What's that wine is actually fine. That wine goes. It is good at this temperature. I think if it was warmer. Maybe the VA might be a little bit much for me. Oh, are you yeah. feeling a little bit of VA in there? Oh right yeah. Now? You Defi yeah, definitely. Oh man. Yeah, you're right. I, I smell it too. But it's yeah, it's nicely handled though. Right no, now. No, it's a nice touch of it. Yeah. yeah. It lifts it a little bit. Yeah. It adds complexity rather than overwhelms. Yeah, but for a California Cabernet, it's not yeah. There. But the oak is still present, which is nice. It's there, but yeah, a little bit. I don't know. Do you know anything about the vinification? No, I, I, off the top, I don't. I, I have okay. to, I'll look it up for us for the no uh, for later for we'll the, the after party. We'll put it in the notes. Talk about, yeah, I, I'll <laughs> record a little extra. I, I would yeah. say pretty non-interventionist. Oh yeah, for sure. Here, yes. Yeah, but I, I don't know if he ferment because see they do some on for a fermentation. For sure. They use terracotta oh, vats. They have a guy really? up on, yeah, who was making some, throwing some pots for them up with Sonoma. Mm -hmm. 
some Sonoma Mountain. What's it called? Moon Mountain. Okay, uh, yeah. Some clay up on Moon Mountain. It, is this Moon Mountain or Sonoma. where in the Sonoma is it? And Kimberly and is is it pretty flat where it is? Or I, you know what? I don't remember mm. where Kimberly is. No, yeah, I don't mm. recall. But yeah, it's not. I was saying that the source of the clay at one point they were getting some amp, some amphora made from this guy up on Moon Mountain. I'm not sure if that's what they use for this wine. It does feel that way, though. Yeah. You said before, you yeah, yeah, it was I like un- that, non-vetrified. Uh, felt the Cabernet part of it, but the, mm. now that is, once you get the warmer, I think you get the more the cab on mm. your nose. But yeah, well, that was fun. Batho yeah. was uh, Eastern Europe and not uh, California. Yeah. <laughs> Do we just want to call the the winner and loser, and then yeah, uh, you, the, you're keeping score, so I you was, call it. It's gonna be Bobby. I do want to say you guys were great. It was a great panel. Oh, we yeah. appreciate you coming out. We had a great time, and thanks for bringing the wines and conversation was great so we'll look forward to having it was fun i hope so yes good thanks and uh, thanks to everyone who was listening and who was here today to be part of it we appreciate it all right signing out